0: You're listening to the Veritas Podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. We're helping move the hearts and minds of more college students to believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, find us on social media at Veritas Como. We hope you're encouraged by this message.
1: Welcome, welcome glad you guys are here. Um, I want to start off by asking uh, a question, and that is, what comes to mind when you hear the word division? When you hear the word division or divided, you might just think of two separate things, right? Not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes division is bad. Sometimes it's because things are, are competing against each other. They're divided. They, they Maybe they disagree. Things disagree with each other. There are numerous things we could think of when we think of, of division in, in that sense. We could think of iPhone or Android, Coke or Pepsi, Xbox or PlayStation. I mean, the the list is endless when it comes to things. Or you can think of those are little things. You can maybe think of bigger things that are divisive. Maybe you think of, like me, growing up, I was a, an MU fan at heart, and so divisive, division, opposite of MU is KU. Yeah, you guys don't really know that anymore because it's not a rivalry, but when I was growing up, that was huge. That was one of the biggest divisions that I had growing up and, and, and as a kid. But when we think of division, we can think of just in our ordinary everyday life, but we can also think about division within the church. And so when we think about division within the church, there's there's a lot of things that we can add to the list that people are divided on, right? You can think of, you know, growing up in a small town, there were a whole bunch of different churches. There was Baptist and Methodist and Catholic and Christian and Presbyterian, and in in a lot of ways, they're they're just different denominations. But from my perspective, my point of view, they were divided, right? It was, oh, well, I belong to this one. And that means I do not belong to this one. Or I belong to one, but not the other. And we see it in so many other ways besides denomination in the church. We see ethnic and racial division. We see um, stylistic division, right? We see contemporary services versus traditional services. We see other styles that people maybe prefer that aren't bad, that aren't good, that aren't better, that aren't worse, but that cause division. Being a, a college ministry, I've, I've worked on campus and I've heard people speak about other ministries, unfortunately, other ministries as, as being in division, being divisive against each other. And for me, this hits personal and close to home because I had a roommate towards the end of college and after college that he had some problems with the church. And and he tried to have conversations a little bit, but then he just decided that that division was too much. And it caused him to completely separate, to leave the church, to leave the group of people that he was friends with, he was hanging out with. This division, it it's life-changing. It's damaging. And, and it's not just An out there thing, it's an in here thing too. I'm sure if I could have a conversation with each and every one of you, a lot of you have experienced or felt division in the church. And you will feel, you might feel division in the church, and that's so sad. And another sad reality is that's not just new for us in the 21st century, that dates all the way back to the foundation and the beginning of the church. You see, this is true for us today, but it was also true for them then. Now, some of you might know we're, we're going through the letter, Paul's letter of Galatians here at Veritas. And, and this division, this divisiveness, it existed back then as well. Their division might have been a little different than ours. Their division was a, was a cultural, ethnic division. It was the Jews and the Gentiles It was the Jewish people that were Christians and the non-Jewish people. And so they were divided on following or not following the Jewish law. And so that included things like obeying the Sabbath, obeying the food uh, orders, what to eat, what not to eat. It involved cleanliness, how to be clean. It involved circumcision. All of these Jewish customs that they were used to following That now, as Christians, they were trying to incorporate and force other people, these Gentiles, to follow. And this caused division. It caused division in the church. And and we're going to look at that division tonight in Galatians 2. And we're going to see that Paul is telling a story. And it's a story of him and an interaction with another guy, Peter. So if you have your Bibles or if you want to follow along on the screen, we're going to be in Galatians 2, verse 11. Verse 11. It says this, but when Cephas, that's Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. You see, and then it continues, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You see, Paul is recalling this interaction with Peter, and he's recounting a time when Peter, he was hanging out with the Gentiles. He was hanging out with these non-Jewish people and, and Peter was a Jew, but then these, these certain men from James, it says, showed up and, and Peter, he separated himself. He separated himself from these Gentile people. I, I think of this kind of like a movie of like middle schoolers in the cafeteria and Peter's hanging out with the Gentile nerds. And he's sitting there eating with them. And then all of a sudden, the cool jocks that are the Jewish guys show up. that have all the power. And then all of a sudden, Peter's like, oh, no, no, no. I can't actually sit with you. I can't be seen with you. No, I need to go hang out with, with these guys, with the Jewish people. And we see Peter, he, he plays into this cultural division. And it tells us why, doesn't it? It says, because he was afraid. He was afraid about the influential people that showed up. He was afraid about what they might think about him. Now, I'm not gonna get into that tonight because if you were here with us last week, Kyle, that's exactly what he talked about was making decisions fearing others or based on following Jesus. And so if you wanna listen to that, I I really strongly encourage you. If you were here, if you weren't, go back and listen to that because that's what he talks about. But tonight, I want to see how Peter allowed cultural differences, cultural divisions to be more important than gospel unity. You see, Peter in these verses, he prioritizes the cultural click over the unity that is to be found in following Jesus. And there's a couple ways that we can see division from Peter, but I I just want to focus on two for tonight. Two ways that Peter causes division instead of unity. And the first way we see Peter cause division is through his hypocrisy. It says in verse 13, after Peter saw that these Jewish people showed up, that he drew back, he separated himself for fear of the circumcision party. It says the rest of the Jews after him, they acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. You see, when these Jewish people showed up, Peter, out of fear, he was acting like a hypocrite. Now, Paul calling Peter a hypocrite, that's, that's, in my opinion, that's strong language to call someone a hypocrite. So on what grounds can Paul call Peter a hypocrite? How do we know this? Well, if we look elsewhere in our Bibles, if we look in the New Testament letter of Acts, we see that This is not the first time Peter's had a conversation about this Jewish-Gentile division. No, we've seen elsewhere, and we're going to see elsewhere, that Peter says that Jews, Gentiles don't have to act like Jews. In Acts 11, 34, it says, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. He's referring to that Jew and Gentile division. And then again, in chapter 15, this is Peter. He says, But we believe that we jewish christians will be saved through the grace of the lord jesus just as they gentile christians will jewish christians gentile christians they will both be saved by the same thing peter he he knows this peter knows this is true peter, peter said this is true and yet when these people from james show up he's not acting in line with what he has said and with what he believes to be true No, Peter knew that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone, not by grace through faith in Jesus, plus following these Jewish customs. And so Paul says, because Peter has strayed away, because he's no longer saying what he was, he's no longer in line with the gospel, and therefore that has led him to hypocrisy, to be hypocritical, and that's causing division. It's causing division amongst the Jews and the Gentiles around him. And if this may be just me, but if you're anything like me, I read a verse like this or a passage like this, and I think, oh, silly Peter, He, he got it wrong right there. You know, how could he be so silly? How could he be so foolish, right? But we have to be careful because when we do that, are we not doing the exact same thing that Peter does? Are we not in the same way becoming hypocrites and looking down on him? Are we not, you and I, are we not just as guilty of hypocrisy, of division as Peter is? You know, we're not better than Peter, are we? No, we're not. I see this in my own life. I see this in the ways that I listen to what other people say, and I think, oh, that's not quite right, or I think about it when people share things that's going on in their lives, and I think, oh, at least I'm not them, or maybe for some of you, it's in the ways that you act around different groups of people. Do you act differently with one group than you do with the other? Do you view yourself as superior to other people around you, other Christians maybe, because you've been coming to church for longer, because you think maybe you've got it figured out? I think all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we contribute to division unfortunately, sadly, we contribute to division instead of seeking gospel unity. The way Jesus says it, we pick out the speck in our brother or sister's eye instead of the log in our own. And and like I said, this is true in my own life. And, And I think one of the ways that I see this the most myself is when I go to a different church, right? Or I listen to a guest speaker, or I go to a conference, I, I go to St. Louis with my wife's family, or I go to my parents' church, or I visit friends and I go to church with them. And when I come to these churches, I think, oh, you guys don't know this. I just look normal to you, but I, I work for a church. I'm pretty smart. I, ca- I kind of have this this aura, this inner um, disposition of knowing what to look for and and knowing how to be there and see things that, that are problematic. But all that does is that causes me to come with a microscope, and I just pick apart every little thing. I pick apart, well, there's, the coffee's bad, right? Or the music, I don't really like the music, or they're in a different culture, and so they do things different culturally, but that's not the way that I do it. That's not the way that we do it. I criticize them because of the music. There wasn't enough music. There was too much music. It was too quiet. It was too loud. It wasn't my style. I criticize the pastor or the speaker, someone just like me, just a normal person because, well, they didn't say that. Or they said that, but what about if you take it this way? Right? There's so many ways that I have this hypocrisy. I have this superiority, this this thought that I haven't figured out and that I am superior, that I am better, that it's, it's divisive. It causes division in my heart when I go those places. I forget that different does not equate to bad. Different is not better or worse. Sometimes it's just different. And I show up at these places and I have this posture And that's not at all what I'm called to have as a Christian, is it? No, we're called to have a posture of humility, of generosity, of meekness, of understanding, a disposition of unity. Now, that doesn't mean to say that there's not room to have discernment. There's not room to ask questions. I hope there's things that I'm saying that you guys are asking questions. Maybe that's true. That's okay. That's good. I don't want to discourage you from asking questions but do those questions come from a disposition of humility or do they come from a position of superiority maybe some of you you've done this maybe you can relate to this you've been something new or maybe it's at veritas or maybe it's somewhere else and and you have this overly cynical overly superior view of your preferences that while their preferences they're valid they they become divisive maybe in We see that even in small ways, you and I, we too, we can cause division instead of gospel unity. This was true for Peter, and it's true for us. And the next thing that we see about Peter's hypocrisy from these verses, we see it didn't just affect Peter. No, it affected those around him as well. You see, Peter's hypocrisy, his sin, it led others to follow in suit. Peter was a leader, and so other people saw his division, his divisiveness, and they followed him. They did what he was doing to the point that other Jews, and even Paul's close friend that he worked with, Barnabas, was led astray. And the reason that that happened is because sin, it's infectious. Sin affects others around us. It always impacts those around us. And I think for a lot of us in our culture we like to think of our sin as as individual as personal we look at the individual you know I I sinned and I messed up and that's my sin and then you sinned and you messed up and that's your sin and those are very distinct and those are separate and yet we see in these verses that that that's not true at all our our sinfulness our brokenness it has an impact on other people and we can see this uh from a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, Dietrich was a pastor, theologian in the early 1900s. He was killed in a concentration camp during the time of World War II. So this is someone who knew division, who was impacted, affected by it. And he has this line from his book called Life Together, and he says this, every act of self-discipline by a Christian is also a service to the community, positive, good, great. It impacts, it affects community positively. Conversely, there is no sin in thought, word, or deed, no matter how personal or secret, that does not harm the whole community. There is no sin in thought, word, or deed, no matter how personal or secret, that does not harm the whole community. Gosh, that that just really hits me. And Bonhoeffer, in, in this book, in this letter that he's writing, he goes on to talk about the community of Christians as the body, right? The Bible refers to God's people as a body. And, and he starts to talk about when, when our body gets sick, when I get a cold, I don't just get a cold in my lungs, right? My whole body is sick. My whole immune system is impacted by that. And he's saying in the same way, there's no sin in thought, word, or deed no matter how personal to me, no how secretive to me, that does not also affect everybody. It affects the whole community of believers. You know, we like to believe that our sin is private, but we have to acknowledge that our sin, it still affects other people. And so we have to view our hypocrisy, our judgment, our people-pleasing, our pride, our lust in light of this. We have to view our sin as divisive. This is is not easy for us, right? It's not easy because our culture, like I said, we're so individualized, individualistic. You do you. I'm going to stay in my own lane over here. What you do is fine, but it's over there. When in reality, what Bonhoeffer is saying and what we're seeing in Galatians is that that affects everybody. In a negative way, in a harmful way, our sin affects everybody. It's impossible to stay in our own lane. And to stay in our own lane, that's not actually what we're supposed to do anyways. That's not what Paul does in our passage. Thankfully, Paul does not stay in his own lane. No, he sees Peter. He sees a fellow Christian. He sees a brother of Christ who is not walking in line with the gospel. And what does he do? He gives him the truth and the good no- news of the gospel in verse 14. He says this, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that's Peter again, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul, he's, he's graciously addressing this problem, this division that Peter is causing. He's saying, Peter, you, you don't live this way. You don't live like a Jew And yet your division, your hypocrisy, it's leading other people, it's leading Gentiles to believe that they also have to live like a Jew. Peter, can't you see that what you're doing, it's causing division amongst God's people. It's contributing to the division in the community. But Paul didn't simply say, he didn't say, hey, Peter, you're breaking the rules. You need to stop that. No, what did he say? He said, Peter, you forgot the gospel." You forgot the gospel. You've forgotten your own gracious welcome in Christ. And so what does Paul do next? Well, he reminds Peter of the gospel. And when I read this, it's kind of funny because Peter was a follower of Jesus. He was with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Peter knew the gospel, and yet Peter still needs reminded of the gospel. And so how much more do you and I, before we say, no, I know the gospel, how much more Do we need to be reminded of what the gospel is? And and this is what Paul says the gospel is in verse 15 and 16. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order that to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, if you remember that word justified, we've talked about it a couple weeks ago, but it means to be in a right relationship with God. And so Paul is saying to be in a right relationship with God. The gospel is, is that we are justified. We are declared righteous. We are made righteous by faith in Jesus, by faith in what Jesus has done. It's not by following the Jewish law. It's not by doing what we can on our own. No, it is by believing in what Jesus has done for us. Paul, he's reminding Peter of this good news that it does not mean following the Jewish law to be saved. No, we are saved by faith in Jesus and we are freed to worship him. We are restored to a right relationship with God, not by anything we do. It's by nothing you and I do, but it's only by God's grace, and by faith in Jesus and what he has done. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel that Paul is telling Peter. That is the gospel that Paul is telling us. And so what does this mean for the Jews and Gentiles of that day? But also what does that mean for us? We can ask those questions. And I think what it meant for the Jews and Gentiles of that day was it was uniting. This is bringing them together that in their cultural differences, they are united in Christ, in Jesus. Gentiles, you do not need to follow these Jewish customs, these Jewish norms to be saved, right? You are declared righteous. You are put in a right relationship with God only by faith in Jesus. And so you can celebrate your differences knowing that you are united in Christ. You do not need to conform to a cultural norm. You do not need to change your cultural traditions in order for that. No, there's unity for these Jews and Gentiles. And that same unity that brings Jew and Gentile together, well, it brings you and I together as well. We can remember that as Christians, we can do nothing to earn God's righteousness. We can do nothing to be restored or made in a right relationship with God. It is only by believing the gospel that we are united, that we are brought together, and we are united in the gospel. And that gospel that unites us, it is the most foundational thing for a Christian about us. I remember a pastor once saying that, excuse me, I have more in common, I, me, you, I have more in common with a 90-year-old woman across the world who I can't speak to, I don't know her, I've never met her, who is a Christian. I have more in common with her foundationally by my faith in Jesus than I do if I were to have a twin brother who had the same genetic makeup, looked the same as me, but who is not a Christian. I have more in common with someone who is also a follower of Jesus than I do if I were to have an identical twin who is not. That is how foundational this belief is. That is how foundational this unity is that brings Christians together. And I've actually had a small glimpse, a small experience of this. Some of you know, Veritas, we go to Japan uh, over the summer, before COVID anyways, and when we go to Japan, we work with this church and we do ministry with them. We, We stay close to the church, we go to the church, we play ping pong, and we get to be in the church on Sunday mornings. Now, it probably doesn't take much to notice that I am very different than a Japanese person. Right, I am white and I am very large for a Japanese person. And so when I show up to church on Sunday morning and I'm standing next to this sweet, very kind, I'm I'm guessing, 60-year-old Japanese woman that I don't know and I've never met, and I I can't talk to besides wave and say, Hello, my name is Justin. That's all I can do. I have more in common with her. And I felt that because when they started this service, I don't speak Japanese, and and they're doing this service in Japanese, and you're kind of standing there blankly, and yet there came a time when one of the songs they played was a song that I actually knew, and it was amazing. It was a beautiful experience for me because I'm standing next to this Japanese woman that weighs half as much as I do, and she is over here singing this song of praise and worship to our God in Japanese, and I'm standing right next to her, and I'm singing the song of praise and worship to our God in English. And it was just this moment for me of, this is what gospel unity in Christ looks like. This is what this foundational belief that I have in common with her, this is what it looks like to worship God, side by side, standing next to each other, Worshiping the same God in two different languages, and her and I have more in common than if I were to have a twin. This belief, this view that the gospel is uniting, it's more uniting than any cultural difference. It's more uniting than any denominational difference, than any stylistic preferences that we can think of. It's more uniting than having the same culture. It's more uniting than having the same skin color. It's more united than singing the same songs or speaking the same language. And so what if we as a group, what if we collectively, communally, not individually, but what if we as a group, what if we believed that? What if we lived that out? What if we lived out gospel unity with each other? What if the gospel united us and brought us together in the same way that Paul is saying unites Jew and Gentile of their day? Imagine with me what Veritas would look like. Imagine with me what a Tuesday night would look like if you and I and everyone in here, everyone that walks through those doors in the back, remembered that you are united. We are united across the world Across generations, we are united by our faith in Jesus. How contrary, how different than what our culture does and our culture says, how different would we be living, living in light of having the most foundational thing about us in common with each other, that we would be brought together, that we would be united together. And the good news is, is that this gospel unity It's nothing we've done. And so if we know someone, maybe some of you in here, or maybe you have friends or family that aren't Christians, there is nothing that we have done to earn being a part of this family. There's nothing we have done to be brought in to this community, to be united together. It is only by God's grace. And so we can go and we can share that with other people. We should wanna bring other people in We should want to tell people, come, be a part of this community. You are longing. You are hoping for unity. You are hoping for peace and joy that is everlasting, and we can provide it in Jesus. What if we viewed this unity not as something to be exclusive, but to be invitational for other people? What if we viewed it in this group of these people right here tonight, what if we viewed it to be uniting for us together. You can look across the aisle, you can look in front of you, behind you, at someone you don't know, and know that in Christ, you are united, you are brought together as one body, one group of believers. The gospel, it restores us individually, but also, and more importantly, collectively, it restores us into a right relationship with Jesus, and we can be united and come together and celebrate in that. That is the beauty. That is the good news of the gospel. And so as the music team comes back up, I just, I want us to remember that. I want us to remember that unity that we have, that you have with you and you and anyone in here you don't know. The unity that we have in Christ. And I want to end by reading verse 20 of Galatians 2 and then by praying for us. Verse 20, it says this. says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so as we stand here, we can be united by God's grace. And so if you will, will you bow your heads? Will you pray with me? Let's pray for unity and not division. Jesus, we come here tonight. We feel the, the pain and the hurt of division. Division in our church, division in those around us, division with friends and family. And we long, Jesus, we long for unity. We long to be able to come together to be united Jesus, that is the good news of the gospel that you offer, that we are united by faith in you. It's nothing that we've done. It's nothing that we can do or will do, but it is only Jesus by your grace and what you have done for us. Jesus, in your perfect life, your death on the cross and your resurrection, we are brought together. We are restored into a right relationship with God and we are restored into a right relationship with each other. And so, Jesus, help us to live that out. Help us as a community to live united to each other, remembering that we are one with you, remembering that you bring us, you unite us together as one. And that is good news that we can remember today and tomorrow and every day moving forward. Jesus, we love you, and we pray for unity in this group. And it's in your name I pray.
0: Thanks for listening to the Veritas podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, make sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow us on social media at Veritas Como. Thanks again for listening.